authors, our leaders, our gentle listeners, and welcome to Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch. It's not about the scotch. I'm your host, and also, Michael Lilienthal, I guess, and this is my guest, Ethan Bartlett. Jumping yes. on your lines, and also, not only is it not about the scotch, it's not about the room or about the inn. Uh, I guess about... it's about Michael and Ethan still, so. Yeah, we're pretty much narcissists. That's, are, yeah, that's the we only are the narcissists of our own podcast. Yep. The only universal constant here, so <laughs> basically us. We are the universal constant. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we don't get a. a do, do we get like a special little letter or insignia for physics equations and stuff? Like, I was gonna say this has been everything Michael and Ethan know about physics. Our <laughs> one, one and a half minute podcast. Uh, da, 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 the end. <laughs> Um, that's our theme music that I just came up with. Excellent work. Thank you. Uh, I'm a composer now. <laughs> so yes, gentle <laughs> listener, we, uh, we have another homework special to present to you. Um, yes. we are going to talk about Don Quixote because Michael made me read all thousand plus pages of it, and Definitely. so we're not gonna not discuss that, but... You know, I was to... thinking we'd just skip it, you know? Just, oh, you know, we... wait, what's that? Did I hear you we right? Just... You want me to kill you? <laughs> you can't, we're not in the same room. Oh yeah, but you know, eventually. Eventually, yeah, I don't know. You heard it here first, gentle listener. Not the first time I've threatened to kill Michael on the, this podcast, but if he dies, it's because he decided to skip us over Don Quixote, even though I spent the last seven months reading that book. <laughs> Seven months. Yep. Uh, welcome to Hyperbole Cast with Ethan <laughs> and all of his friends. I have never exaggerated a single thing in the history of the universe. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. So, yes. Tonight we have an English homework special. Or yes. today. Or. It always amuses me when podcasts put, like, timestamps on their. On their. Yeah. Uh, when, when, uh, when a podcast signs off by saying goodnight. Yeah. And, it's very, I, I love it when I listen to those podcasts in the morning. Right. It's very, like, charming and Orson Wellesy, but also it doesn't make any sense. Right. But also, I feel like I just, like, win something against those podcasts <laughs> when I'm in a different time than they assume I'm in. Yeah, you or, definitely like, do. When It's the same thing when, when a podcast, like, will say, if you're listening to us at work, and I'm like, hi, I'm not. I'm listening to you while I'm driving. So there. <laughs> Suck it, podcast. I would now like to have a podcast of you listening to podcasts and responding to them. <laughs> uh, no one would. No one would listen to that. <laughs> it, it, the riff tracks to a podcast. I mean, I sort of don't want the other podcast to be in the podcast. I just want it to be an entire cut of you responding to podcasts. Just me responding. Just. Just, just being like, track. I'm listening to this in the morning, and you just said goodnight. Suck it, podcast. <laughs> and that's what it'll be called. Suck it, podcast. <laughs> yeah, that you might get a very... You'd have to, like, iTunes categorize that very carefully. <laughs> I might just. Um, but yeah. that's not what this podcast no. is. No, it's not. This podcast is the English homework special, and... Tonight we're doing a concept that I came up with, I guess. Um, 
I'm not sure which part of that sentence I, I guessed about because I think it's I'm, all I'm, technically true. It's it's a concept, I guess. It's it's a I came up with it, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> tonight it's as if we are creative writing teachers who you know, as we've established in previous podcasts, especially English homework specials, drink while teaching. Yep. Um, and it's as if we have a promising but potentially troubled student by the name of Daniel Brown and we are co-teaching a creative writing course and Daniel Brown has handed us a work in progress called you know the he's he's not sure on the title yet it's the Da Vinci Cipher or the uh the the Renaissance secrecies the the Michelangelo (laughs) code (laughs) <laughs> what's hidden in the david's you know um yeah something like that anyway uh what we're what i'm saying is we're doing the da vinci or code full house the jesus story <laughs> i would read that book even if daniel brown had written it um so gentle listener this will sh- serve as your trigger warning You've now been warned, don't add us with your whole, like, let people enjoy stuff, or, like, call us hypercritical. This is going to be an entire hour of us talking about the Da Vinci Code, as if we were grading it for an advanced creative writing class. And, spoiler alert, it ain't gonna be pretty. Nope. I think I can say that safely. Get out the red pens. Here we go. Nice. Nice. (laughs) Uh, you're always coming through with those ASMR, uh, uh, that strong just, ASMR segment so much, of our audience. It, it's so much more authentic when you can have live sound effects, I think. Oh, yeah. I'm an audio absolutely. purist. That's what I'm going to say. I'm absolutely not. But <laughs> What are you drinking, speaking of ASMR? I am drinking a cocktail that I found in... The PDT cocktail book, which is one of my go-to books for cocktails. Uh, And it is called the Caprice. It's a mix of gin, dry vermouth, uh, Benedictine liqueur, and orange bitters. Um, It's kind of an odd-sounding mix, probably, even if you do know something about cocktails. But Mm. it's, it's quite good. Michael, what are you drinking? What I'm drinking is the Red Breast 12-Year Single Pot Still Irish Whiskey. Oh, probably the close closest thing uh, to actual, you know, single malt scotch that a homework special has seen. Usually we go pretty far off the beaten trail for these ones. A little bit, but this sounded really good to me and I wanted to drink it, so I am. Yeah, no, very good. That's, uh, that's pretty much the reason we drink anything on this show. So Because we want to, not yep. because we have to, not because you told us to. Yeah. Dad. Yeah, Dad. Why do you even listen to this show if all you do is try to boss us around? Yeah, Dad, come on. I would like it on the record that I'm not speaking to my actual father, who if may <laughs> listen to this at some point. And is very nice and hasn't really bossed me around since I was a small child who thought, you know, <laughs> stoves were interesting, especially when hot. So, 
Disclaimer, Michael, trying to get me in trouble. <laughs> I would never, except when I would. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's true. It's the technically true statement. <laughs> so there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, well, so should we get, like, we have the same basic rules for this as for a regular show, right? So... Yeah. Should we have your wife tell us the rules? Sure. Alright. Karen, what are the rules? Rule one. Once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule two. No one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule three, Ethan must never say the phrase first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule four, Michael must never say the words vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule five, if anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. And what happens if someone breaks the rules? If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, drink responsibly. Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle, Gentle listener. listener. Those are the rules. Thank you, Karen. That was very helpful. Go back to playing Witcher 3 in the other room. We no longer need you. <laughs> um, yes. And so the rules will go into effect when we clink our glasses, but we can't do that across a distance, so pretend we did. Clink. Clink, clank, clunk. You go. just, you, you gotta pick one and just go, go for it. Oh, okay. Just like, I gotta be a little more assertive about it. Yeah, yeah. Just you I know, get, I gotta just find whatever clearer voice and use that. Whatever first thing you do, that's correct, even if it wasn't quite what you intended. The, oh, is that so? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So whatever I start Always. doing, just keep doing it, even if it turns out to be a horrible idea, and I should probably stop. Yes. I should just keep doing it. Right. You got it. Okay. This is definitely not revenge for you trying to get me in trouble before. This is just very good <laughs> advice. Just good advice. Yep. Okay. I understand. It really should just be the name of this show, actually. Just good advice with Michael and Ethan. Just good advice. Good advice we've you should we've, always we've follow. we come up with a whole bunch of alternate titles for our <laughs> podcast. I feel like that should just be the premise of a podcast. Just a podcast that comes up with alternate titles for podcasts. Now, I had a pretty bad idea for a podcast earlier. I do think you've topped me. So, yeah. I I mean... Now that sounds like a good podcast, just coming up with bad podcast ideas. Oh, that sounds like a great podcast. Right? See? Yeah. Look at, look at that turnaround. I really yeah. myself. Yeah, good. Well, now I've only come up with a bad podcast idea, and you've come up with a bad one and a good one, so... Does that mean I'm winning? No! there's No one wins! Haven't you been paying attention to this whole show that we've done? Yeah, but I'm pretty sure it means I'm winning, and that's 
that's my first instinct and as per your advice i'm just gonna take it and just keep going with that yeah okay but let that advice bite you in the butt but yes however yes i'm going to kill you what do you think about that (laughs) you know i i I accept it and it's a reality that i I can live with (laughs) i do i do fully accept myself that if you ever turn up dead under mysterious circumstances even if i haven't (laughs) done it i i just will get taken in and convicted for it after all of this audio evidence you you realize that by putting this audio evidence out there you're making it really easy for anyone who actually wants to kill me to do so and get away with it pinning all the blame on you oh yeah absolutely you're setting yourself up to be the perfect fall guy for my death yeah yeah so this took a real dark turn yeah it did really dark uh speaking of dark you want to talk about this book yeah i mean this uh this creative writing project yes this creative writing project from our previously promising student daniel so now to review we've posited a scenario where michael and i are the drunken teachers of (laughs) an advanced creative writing class which don't think about that premise too heartily now gentle listener we take you behind the scenes of that creative writing class to where Michael and I do our co-grading session, where, of course, since we are co-teachers, we do grade everything together and discuss our grades at length and our feedback. We're so codependent. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Now, give me some of that whiskey. Um, All right, no, mine. (laughs) Okay, you you can have a sip. Wait, you just lost! Oh, wow! Wait, did I, though? Yeah, I did. I did. You did. Dang it. most definitely did. But, okay, but, but, I lost in, like, a theoretical scenario, though. Like, that was a character losing. So, I'm gonna gonna give you a theoretical punishment that you get to theoretically act out and theoretically do. Do you have one, or are we just gonna Jesuit this? We're, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna keep, keep going, and I'll give it to you at the end. All right. Yeah, which so it occurs it occurs to me I'm definitely going to have to be real careful in this first part, first next part here. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, well. Yeah, you are. You're just lucky I didn't pick Dracula. <laughs> uh, next time. Next time. <laughs> um so let's 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 take a look at this this book by our our dear beloved student uh and he started us off with a prologue he did Um, can i say just initially here that i have anytime i see a prologue i'm immediately inclined against the book really really uh especially if it's been written in the last 50 years okay most of the time i can forgive it if it's older than that Okay, but... I do need you defend, to defend both of those positions. Okay, I will do so. Uh, number one, I feel like a prologue is something... And 50 is really is, is more or less um, arbitrary. Sure. 50 years is more or less arbitrary. Mostly I'm just thinking like recent history. Yeah, recent yeah. literary yeah. history. So Chronologically, if, if it, has a it prologue makes sense. From, chronologically, yeah. 
if 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 it has a prologue before that time, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. Not because I feel like authors knew less then, but I feel like they knew what a prologue was actually for. Oh, okay. Well, that that actually yeah. does take care of the question I had about the the chronology. Um, okay. Go on if you had more to say about that, though. Right. Um, and like like to me, here's what I think a prologue is for. A prologue is entirely world building. Right. That's what it says to me. It gives context okay. to the whole thing. What a prologue is within the last 50 years is um, clickbait. <laughs> um, Managed to invent which... clickbait before the internet was even yes. a thing, <laughs> let alone you know the, the yes. level of internet use that produced clickbait. Right. Um, Pretty no, impressive but, but, work, but... really, for Pulp Fiction. Right, right. They do good, good job. Um, but no, like, okay. So prologues that every prologue, every single prologue is the exact same thing. It's something that's rather fuzzy on the details. You can't necessarily picture what's happening in this chapter zero. Yeah. And there's this dark looming presence that's there. Uh, while establishing mysteriously something to do with what the hero of the story is actually pursuing. Yeah. Okay. You know, that's every prologue does the exact same thing. Every single one. Yeah. I challenge you to find me a prologue that does differently. And if you do, I will eat my words. Well, and especially <laughs> in the last 50 years. Right. Um, you know, because, yeah, you're right, because you could probably draw a line prologue-wise from, say, Shakespeare, who, you sure. know, you could argue that the Elizabethan dramatists invented the prologue as used in English fictional narratives, which is an obviously broad category that can encompass plays as well as, you know, other things. Right. Um, but... So, like, that, you know, that does exactly what you're talking about. It, it builds the world. It gives context. Sometimes it, like, gives away the entire plot of the play, but, you know, the purpose for sure. doing that is to say, here's the overall thing. So if you get confused here's about any of the scenes in the middle, yep. yeah, exactly. Like, this is, you know, here we are. Um, right. It gives you the roadmap. Yeah. So, like, in, in the context of a creative writing class, here's my advice your story is probably a lot stronger if you cut the prologue out. So right. here's what I would suggest to any creative writing student. Write your prologue, fine, then delete it, and start from chapter one and see if anyone is confused about what's going on in the book at all. And if not, then good, you don't need that prologue. Right. Um, it, that's actually... Uh, I'm, I'm racking my brain to remember who said cut the first three pages always cut the first three pages um sure i do that with sermons oh interesting <laughs> like, pages or paragraphs or something else it, it varies but a good chunk from the beginning okay sure um it was okay leading candidates in my head are either stephen king harlan ellison ernest hemingway or william faulkner said <laughs> Which, by the way, to be a fly on the wall of that conversation, 
good night. Ooh. Um, yeah. But I think it was one of them, or it was someone else, who said, uh, with any novel, cut the first three pages. Um, and, you know, they that was like the aphorism version, and they expanded on that to say, you know, if it's a short story, maybe cut the first three paragraphs, like a commensurate length, you know, with whatever the length of the work is. Um, sure. And it's basically what you just said, but a famous author said it, even though I can't remember who the heck it was. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they said, because basically, it's basically, yeah, that you are world building for those first three pages, but especially in a first draft, it's usually not going to be good. Um, right. or, or in other words, it's just you info dumping and it's usually sort of you info dumping to yourself. Um, you know, cause you're creating, even if your, your work is sort of realistic fiction or some other non fantasy genre fiction, you're still creating a world for this story. Um, and mm -hmm. a lot of writers, what they instinctively do right off the bat is they tell themselves what this world is. So, you know. Mm -hmm. That's your classic, like, the town of Riverside was this many people and this such a thing, and um, the school was here, and the thing was, the restaurant that everyone went to was here, and, you know, and it's it's just stuff that's, like, really helpful for you as the author to know, but it's not usually very helpful to, like, front load your story with it, because those details to a reader yeah. are only going to be important once the reader already cares about a character or a situation or something else that's in this world. Um, now that said, you will see famous authors doing exactly what I just said, but usually if they're doing that, they're doing something else sort of underneath it. Um, so either they're establishing like a tone or they're establishing that in the example that I gave, like, the town is sort of the main character, you know, it's, they're usually doing something much more sophisticated than just setting the scene. They're drawing you into the world in a certain way. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, that also, if it's a good writer, is almost certainly the product of several revisions, and they've made a conscious choice to start the story this way rather than just starting it this way because they needed to figure out what the heck the story's about. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, and this is just really a long-winded way of agreeing with what you said, Michael, <laughs> like that any story, you know, any... So if it's a novel, you know, jump three pages in, see if you can start the story there, and if you can, get rid of those first three pages. Um, yep. You know, short story, start three paragraphs in, and like, the first time I read this advice, clearly I did not, like, make a note so I could cite it on, later on the podcast I knew I was going to do with my <laughs> life, but um, I did, like, start doing it, and it was often very powerful. Like, it was often like, oh, yeah, this story worked way better here, you know, once I'm three pages in and I know what actually is interesting about this, you know. Um, you know, like any... It, Writer, writing advice that a writer claims is universal it's not universal but it's certainly a good thing right. to keep in mind well and that's and that's just it with with just about all creative writing advice and rules and things it's the sort of thing where the rules are given so that you can know how to break them exactly yeah that's that's it 
but but it's and and something with this too is um you know the the whole like kill your darlings or right um show don't tell that sort of thing good advice in general but sometimes it's absolutely the opposite right um yeah uh i was gonna say something else about that but darned if i know what it was oh well so now that we've taken care of talked about the word prologue yes Um. and also taking care of the fact that our student is already garbage for having a prologue at all um, <laughs> uh, let's see what he put in this prologue right so uh the first thing you see is a is a heading that gives you the setting the location and the time yes it's the louvre museum paris ten forty six p.m i'm okay with this okay um, oh the, the with with this sort of heading thing like i can i can take it or leave it it can yeah. work it might not i'm gonna leave it it's fine. It's one of those right. things that this tells it me what, could what it, help, but yeah. if it doesn't help, what it, it tells doesn't hurt. me, giving this very clear location and time, what it's telling me is what I'm about to read is a mystery. Oh, okay. And uh, it's it's going to, the book itself, the narrative itself is going to help me with these clues put everything together so that theoretically by the end i can solve the mystery okay interesting that's what it tells me i think that's valid Um, i I would not have thought of it so uh, yeah so that's that's what it's setting up for me and i guess i'll see if that's that's how it turns out yes um also (laughs) i want to circle back to the prologue thing again because we haven't talked about the concept of prologue enough but a thought that occurred to me and this is pure theory on my part that I could not necessarily support academically, but you you were talking about how, especially in the last 50 years, the prologue has just become clickbait, right? Like, it's become a teaser thing. Right. I suspect that the fantasy genre is maybe responsible for that. Um, oh, absolutely. And I suspect it because if you go back into some of the Del Rey paperbacks that were published in, like, the 60s and the 70s, right? Um, yep. If if you get if you get the actual paperbacks like from those times, what they will often have is like you open the cover and on the very first like page of print, you'll have four or five paragraphs from like the middle of the story and it's like just at the exciting part and it'll try to give you everything uh-huh. it can. Like usually there's a scantily clad maiden and a hero of some kind and they're in some sort of danger and it's some sort of monstrous creature and it's literally just they've picked the part of the book and sometimes edited it um slightly Mm -hmm. uh just the part of the book that's like the most exciting for like the the dungeons and dragons players reading this um right and my suspicion is that that started there and then eventually people figured out that they could just you know, take a part of the middle, put it at the beginning so that the reader was sucked right into the exciting part. Then they just, instead of making it the, like, ad or the blurb at the beginning, they put it after all the title stuff that people skip anyway, slapped the word prologue on it, and then were like, hey, a clever way to get people to read my thing. Right. Because, honestly, that's how people are going to start reading the thing. They're going to take a look at the first page read the first paragraph and if that's intriguing read the second paragraph and then 
you know, maybe read the first page or so, and if all of that is still intriguing, then they'll buy the book. Right, exactly. Which is, you know, not necessarily unfair. Um, no. But I, I'm just wondering if this was, like, an alternative slash, like, parallel evolution of the concept of prologue that sort of sure. overwrote that classical idea of the prologue. Again, I would I... have to do a lot of research to, like, fully stand behind this, but right it's it's interesting yeah yeah uh well, anyway shall we dive into this this writing itself the we, actual we text of the book now that we are like the actual text half an hour into this show right we've talked about the first like five words which aren't which aren't actually like the story right yeah <laughs> which frankly um, if any if if any of you listeners have listened to us up to this point or really any of our shows up to this point not even all of them and you're surprised i really don't know what to tell you <laughs> you're a lost cause <laughs> quit while you're ahead well no but still listen to the show but quit oh uh, other obviously. stuff i'm quit, not quit other things yeah I feel quit like other things don't quit the podcast quit smoking you're a lost cause quit smoking, quit smoking. you're quit welcome smoking yeah, quit smoking. We, we, Especially in yeah, here. Come on. Really? This it's so inconsiderate. Yeah. My okay, wife's thanks. allergic and she's right there in the other room playing Witcher. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's very bad. Oh good. We just helped someone. <laughs> yeah. I feel, I feel I feel good about this this episode. <laughs> so what's the Michael, what is the first word of what would be considered the actual text of this book? Oh. Thank you for saying that, because I wanted to talk about it. The first word is renowned. Michael, would you say this is a good first word or a bad first word? No! It's so stupid! (laughs) Uh, Because what does renowned mean? It means that someone is famous. So there's no good way to use this word in a work of fiction, especially as the first word. The, because, number one, you, you've got two options here. By using this word renowned, you're describing someone that the reader already knows, and therefore you don't need to tell them that they're renowned, because they know they're renowned. Yes. Or you're talking about someone the reader doesn't know, and by calling them renowned, you're telling the reader that you're stupid, you should know this person is renowned, and just be pulled into this world where I've invented this famous person, and I'm telling you they're famous, therefore you should know they're famous. It's that uh, that uh, show-don't-tell rule. It's telling right yeah, here. It's, um, it's, and it's not um, even telling. Like... It's no. not showing at all, Cause, cause and it's, not, it's bad. It's not telling. giving any real information. Yes, it's it's just ugh. No, it's stupid. No, I admire what you just said because I think it's the most succinct summary I've ever heard of why this is a stupid opening. Um, yep. Because <laughs> like my mind goes straight to renowned by who, renowned for what. Yep. Um, like yep. renowned how, like renowned among who. I guess that's sort of some of the same questions, but like, yeah, it's it doesn't actually tell you anything. Nope. Um, it doesn't. So, Michael. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't want to spend too much time on that because, like, that's the thing about this book that everybody complains about. And, like, it's valid. It's people complain about it for a reason. But, um, right. you know, you can find a lot of articles talking about how bad of a first word this is on the internet. But I really liked your <laughs> summary there, Michael. Well, thank you. Now, Michael, I have a second question for you. 
Okay. That has to do with the second word of this prologue. Yep. Um, so the second word is curator. So we have yeah. renowned curator. Now, Michael, would you yep. say curator? Would you say that is a good second word or a bad second word? <laughs> to have I in would this say book? a bad second word. Why would you say that, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> It makes me weep. Is that <laughs> That's a very valid reason. Um, now, I no, don't want to, like, like okay. traumatize you further, but can you explain why it makes you weep? Okay, what is a curator? Like, I, well, I mean, I know someone what a curator who takes, is, but... Well, okay, I was about to say someone who takes care of stuff, but that's not even technically yep. true, is it? Or is it? Uh, no, I mean, it, it's kind of true. It's... I guess ish. It's someone who takes care of a collection in the sense that often curating is like accepting some things and rejecting others. But if you're doing that as a whole, you could say it's a caretaker. Okay. But still. Here's what it it says to me. It tells me this book is going to be boring. (laughs) (laughs) um, Having those two be the first two words. Renowned curator. Oh, I'm supposed to be excited about this job that takes in museum pieces. Right. Um, that's not that's not typically unless you're in like very specific spheres of interest. Yeah. That's not typically the sort of job. Like, okay, here's what it thinks. What what it makes me think of the only person who would be excited about a curator and call them renowned would be Amy Santiago. <laughs> or um. Uh, or Captain Holt, Raymond Holt. Yes. Yes. Um. I, I was trying to think of Amy Poehler's character on Parks and Rec. Um, oh, um... Uh, Leslie Nope. Leslie Nope, yes. Like, if the three of them opened a book that started with the words renowned curator, they would be very excited. They would be excited. But this is not the sort of thing that should have a 93% approval rating on Google Books. That's correct. Especially because this book claims to be a thriller. Like... You know, right. there's yes. there's sort of That's a just it. <laughs> there's sort of a principle. I was gonna say in fiction, but it's really in all writing that like the first part of your thing should tell you exactly what sort of thing it is. Um, yeah, like going back to the concept of a Shakespeare prologue, like in Romeo and Juliet, the prologue says, "Hey, this is about a play about two kids who kill themselves." Like, right? Y- if you don't like it. You're ten lines in, and you can leave. I haven't wasted your time, right? In yeah. academic writing, of course, you know you you're depending on if you're a freshman, like your first paragraph ends in a thesis. Otherwise, if you're a more advanced, you just lost academic, again. Oh my gosh! Wow, I'm a bad day. It's a bad one. <laughs> like it was a long day at work and all, but there's really no excuse <laughs> for this. Wow. <laughs> You're getting sloppy. Man, Uh, not to, like, spoil Don Quixote, but I feel like I should do a Sancho Panza-esque, like, (laughs) 3,000 lashes on my own ass plus 300 or whatever. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Don't yeah that. I mean, you're correct, but don't. I am correct. Anyway. So, yeah, the the end of your opening paragraph should say should be your thesis, right? Or in more advanced academic yep. writing, 
the you know somewhere in the in the functional prologue even if it's not a literal prologue you have your thesis so right and i'm gonna just go ahead and go forwards in i know that's like double the progress we've made so far so it's moving kind of fast but renowned curator jacques sanier like amy santiago captain holt and maybe leslie nope are so excited for what this book will be yep <laughs> but the then the world is bored Yes, and when they read the rest of the book, those three who were excited about this actual opening are not excited anymore. Right, because be like, it doesn't, it doesn't, it, it's misleading. It doesn't follow through on what the beginning actually tells us it's going to be. Right, it's supposed to be a thriller. Right. Um, um, we do get a fifth word that's pretty good. Right. Staggered. Okay, we've got an action word, and it tells us something is happening. Yes. Something's um, wrong with Jacques Saunier. Now, here's the thing. Yep. When I when I when I look at this opening, I would delete Renowned, obviously. I would yep. delete Curator. I would delete mm -hmm. Jacques Saunier because knowing his name right at the beginning doesn't tell us really anything or help the story at all. Right. But you obviously can't begin a, a prologue with the or a sentence even with the word staggered, so what he staggered. We, what if we gerundized it? Oh, so you'd you'd have a you'd have staggering a... through the vaulted archway of the museum's grand gallery, comma he lunged for the nearest painting yes. he could see a Caravaggio. Okay, that's a much better which, opening sentence, I think. It it until you got to the end, which of until course you get to the you, end. it's it's our right, we can talk wayward about student that. Daniel. Um right. but yes, up until that point, absolutely you're correct. Like you have two action words and a fairly terse sentence. And it's yep. interesting, and it sets a scene of well, of suspense and not of like exactly. us caring if we're, about museum curators. If we're going for a thriller here, the first word, in my opinion, should be a verb, or at least an mm. action word. So staggering, to yeah. me, that, okay, right there, first word, I'm more interested. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, what do you think about the hanging gerundum clause? As in, staggering through the vaulted archway of the museum's grand gallery, he lunged. Like, does that bother you, that sentence construction? Not at all. I think it's interesting. Okay. Um, and I'm talking about, like, like, in uh, literature, too, not just in, like, right. thrillers. No, I think, th I think that's very, very interesting. Um, especially okay. if it's not the only sentence construction that you find. If you overdo <laughs> right. it, and, like... If you do it to death, if that's your default, then it's a problem. But sure. if you use it sparingly or for purpose, like at yeah. the beginning when you're gaining interest, then it's great. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. No, I tend to agree. I just tend to use that in my own writing, and I always feel guilty about it. Like, I always feel oh. like I'm being a little pulpy. But what I would say is go back in your previous two paragraphs, and if you've used the same sentence structure there, then change it. Yeah, that's fair. And of course, if you use the same sentence structure of any kind of sentence structure, you are going to become monotonous. Right, exactly. It, you, so like if, if he started it off this way, the first sentence was super interesting, but then here's the problem. We get to another, the next sentence, grabbing the oh, you're right. frame. There's there's the problem. You're right. All of a sudden, we've lost it. Um, you know what freaking sucks? 
I lost the second time without actually talking about the thing I was worried about losing on. <laughs> anyway. Uh, before yeah. we before we go into that second sentence, I do want to yep. go back to the end of what is Daniel's second sentence, your first sentence in your right. much better rewrite. He Thank lunged you. for the nearest painting he could see, a Caravaggio. Yep, I say cut the appositive. Yeah, absolutely. Because... Again, the same three people who are interested with his fir- in his first four <laughs> words would be interested in that. Would be more interested than literally anybody else. But right. those three people would much rather know what Caravaggio it was. And frankly, yeah, exactly. even for that's a general thing. reader, that's a more interesting... You know, he lunged for the nearest painting he could see. Blank. You here's, know, here's... whatever painting it is. Here's what I think would be way more interesting here. Um, don't tell us what painting it is. Don't or don't tell us who made the painting. Just first painting he could see. Because here's the thing: if he's staggering through here, and we've got this sense of haste and rushing, he's not paying attention to what painting it is. Yes, maybe because absolutely. he's a curator, he knows, but he's not paying attention to it. He can see what it is later, and then we see it, and then we see it right. in detail. It's it's a full. It's a full-on, a positive, you are neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm, so I spit thee out of my mouth. There either, you go. Perfect. Either he doesn't care what who painted the thing, so you just end that sentence like you said, for the nearest painting he could see, period. Or he knows exactly what painting it is, in which case a Caravaggio is actually too little information. Yep. Or... If he does notice it at that level of detail, what he's what you need then is some acknowledgement that like this is a ridiculous thing to notice, um, which yes. might be okay because like the brain notices weird things when it's you know actively being traumatized, right? Um, but there you need you need to very carefully phrase that and word it and structure that, and for that I would call for a full rewrite of this entire first paragraph, which I'm yes. tempted to call for anyway. I mean, I am I am absolutely on board with rewriting this entire paragraph or deleting this entire paragraph or deleting this entire novel. But, um, <laughs> yes, and, and yeah, like, if you're going to go that route with it, the entire paragraph has to become about it. Yep. Like, it would, right. you're right, almost be a more interesting, like, opening. It would be a little risky, but I don't think too much if... So fill in specific Caravaggio name of painting here, right? Like, I'm not going to claim that I know any Caravaggio paintings off the top of my head. Um, It's -hmm. something you could put into a novel with a simple Google search, but I won't dwell on that. Um, But so he he looked at X. He held his hand over the wound. Some detail about X painting. Funny what the mind, you know, focuses on when the body is dying something like that would actually yeah, be right. a much something better like noirish pulpy opening right let him go into shock and realize how ridiculous he's being for notice noticing this thing like that's an opening that would accomplish everything that this opening accomplishes yep. probably more yep okay um, so. so third paragraph or uh, my second pair or uh, third uh, sentence or my second sen- yes. sentence yes yes here um which if we're starting with that gerund again grabbing um i would 
invert it here because I think it's way more powerful in the first place to start the book entirely off with that verb. So then here, say, he grabbed yes. the gilded frame, period. Okay. I would, I, and I don't know if this is me being now too nitpicky. Sure. I don't know that gilded is helpful. Yeah, and I was wondering about that not myself. stupid. And I think if we're going for, like, action and for terseness, yeah. he grabbed the frame, does everything that the other or, does. Or even just cut, grabbing the gilded frame, the 76-year-old man, cut all that, just he heaved, he heaved the masterpiece. Yeah, because again, who cares what his age is? Right. Maybe, maybe you'd put in the old man just to give us a sense of, like, he's, he's you know... Not in any sh- shape to be knifed or whatever it is that he's been. Right. You know, but like... He, we don't need to know how exactly old he is. Yeah, that really tells us nothing. Unless it really plays a part in the mystery. <laughs> um, yes. And but, spoiler alert, it doesn't. Anyway, yeah. Um. So, okay. I, I, I'm seeing the first paragraph being these just two sentences, really. So, yeah. staggering through the vaulted archway of the museum's grand gallery, he lunged for the nearing painting he could see. He heaved the masterpiece toward himself until it tore from the wall, and and then we're then, oh, and, then we're struggling and collapsed. This actually works. Well, I would just until say and he collapsed backward in a heap. There, yeah. Then he collapsed the backward in a heap. Yeah. And see, here's the problem. He okay. Let let me count the words here. Painting, Caravaggio, frame, masterpiece, canvas are all the same thing. Yeah, yeah. He's he's writing about this same object in those, what, five different words. Yeah, that's a really good point. He doesn't need to use all five of those words. No, and, you know, it's, it's like when you tell someone something that, like, annoys you about them and they correct like the least important thing about it and don't correct any of the other things it's like he read in a creative writing manuscript don't say the same word over and over right Uh, no i read that advice creative writing manual is what i meant to say yeah i read that advice about opening dialogue like don't say he said she said all the time instead say use use more powerful words he stated she stated they declared uh, they muttered, they whispered, they shouted, you know, use use oh. words that convey things more. Um, but the thing is, that advice is good unless you use a different word every paragraph. Yeah, J.K. Rowling. <laughs> well, she not only does that, but then adds an adverb every time. But... Yeah, and that sort of repetitiveness is a problem. Yeah. And also, like... <sighs> I that's that's the thing. Like, he he's heard this advice about don't be repetitive, and he's like, all right, I won't. I'll use different words, which is yeah. just repetitiveness in different masks. It well, and it and it's like the worst version of following the the good advice. Yeah, it's following the letter without following the spirit. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Also, for the record, I can't count the number of really good writers from Elmore he- Leonard to Ernest Hemingway who have said. He said, she said, it's fine. Don't right. clutter your page up by by trying to creatively, like, make action where all you want is dialogue. Like, yeah. And the, and the thing is, 99% of the time, 
your actual dialogue should convey anything you would put through in a tag. Like, if, in other words, if you need to tell the reader that someone exclaimed something because it wasn't clear in the actual dialogue, you have written bad dialogue. Yep. Like, really, that sort of thing, even, like, even an exclamation point is almost telling too much. Yeah. In a lot of cases. Like, it should be clear based on the content, which is another, like, general overarching rule of creative fiction, creative writing, is less is more. Yes, absolutely. Which, again, it's one of those rules that you know it so that you know when to break it, but start there. (laughs) Right. So, I would like to point out, we're approximately 48 or so minutes into this show. Yeah. And we still have to punish me twice. Twice. And whatever, we haven't gotten through the opening paragraph. The opening paragraph, Michael. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, well, so it's, it's going to be more of the same, if if I can just summarize it that way. Yeah, I was going to say, I want to just speed run the second paragraph. Go for it. Um, As he had anticipated, a thundering iron gate fell nearby. Do you know what words from that sentence you could delete? The entire <laughs> first clause. Yep, as he had anticipated. That doesn't tell what is anything. That? It doesn't, and it just confuses us. Why did he anticipate it? How did he anticipate it? Well, and the thing is, we actually do know he anticipated it. We do know that he anticipated, like, a pursuer of some kind because he's staggering away. Right. So, garbage. And also, okay, here's something else. By not saying that this is the curator, with that opening paragraph that we've established here, he could be anyone. He could be a thief from that opening paragraph. Yeah, that's true. We don't know. And then, like, okay, after you cut that as he had anticipated because it's stupid and we get that thundering gate and all this stuff and the alarms are going off, then, third paragraph, the curator lay a moment gasping for breath. I don't think of him being called the curator there because then we've established who he is after having the action. Yeah, absolutely. So, a thundering iron gate fell nearby, barricading the entrance to the suite. I'm going to let it go for now, right? even though it's kind of dumb. (laughs) The parquet floor shook. You know how you could rewrite that sentence? The floor shook. Also cut it, yes, absolutely. (laughs) But if you just deleted parquet, you sound more like someone writing a thriller novel and less like someone selling a a upper-middle-class house in the Midwest. Um, (laughs) Far off, an alarm began to ring. What does far off tell you? Nothing. An alarm began to ring. Yep. So let me recap that real quick, just because I think this drives home our point even more. And after this, you're right. It's just more of the same. But a yeah. thundering iron gate fell nearby, barricading the entrance to the to the suite. The floor shook. An alarm began to ring. Do you notice how boom, that boom, says boom. literally everything but better? Yep. Uh, and here's here's what I'm noticing about this that uh, has just become clear and apparent to me. If we start with that <laughs> staggering, I'm backing us up again. All right, we start with that. Then every sentence after that is simple declarative sentence form, which is action. Yes, yes, absolutely. I, and that's that's what this should be. This whole yes. 
opening to this book should be simple action. Don't overcomplicate yeah, absolutely. What what's, what's again, coming across and again, to me is Dan Brown is trying to prove to me that he's intelligent. And I don't care yes. how intelligent he is. I want him to tell me a good story. I think he's trying to prove that he's intelligent and that he has done his research, neither of which are true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I was going to say something else. Oh, I gave a weird laugh when you said the phrase, this has just become clear and apparent. And I want to <laughs> ask you if you understand why. Is it because I was being redundant? Well, it's because you were being redundant in a specific way that's on my mind right now. Oh, okay. You, that's basically... It's a sentence Don Quixote would have said. No. Oh. <laughs> is really all I'm saying here. Can so, you tell I've been reading that 1,200-page book for the last 12 years of my life? Yeah, yeah, I, I can. Partly yeah. because I also have been doing that for the last 100 years of my life, and I understand the signs. <laughs> I know, it's it's hard when I've been reading this book since the dawn of time. Yeah, it's it's definitely hard when I've been reading this book since egg and i will still be reading it at rose <laughs> boom uh, letty hemstock's nice ocean i know everything <laughs> and here oh, we are good. um do you want to <laughs> say anything more about dan brown's creative writing project I really do not. I'm going to slap a D- minus on it and a no do better next time, you punk. How are you going to grade yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. That's That sounds about good to me. Uh, D- minus okay. is good. Um, our our D- minus stamp and then our do better next time, you punk stamp Yep. as creative writing I, instructors. I, I, yep. <laughs> um, yeah. Aside from just saying just cut the whole prologue and start from chapter one and then yes, take all or, of our advice that we would have given for the prologue and do that in chapter one um, yeah or because, delete the whole oh, what's, novel because it's a garbage fire as a whole but that's a different what, rant what's go on what's the first sentence of chapter one just just for argument's sake what's the first sentence of chapter one do you have that in front of you? i'm i'm getting it here quickly chapter one robert langdon awoke slowly so much okay, better you definitely yep, could start the the novel this way. Yep. Yep. Okay. It still has an adverb in it, and I'm I'm a little argumentative about that, but I can I can take it. Um, it's at least like an action oriented adverb, right? Yeah. Or a descriptively like it's it's an adverb that does its job as much as any adverbs ever do. Do you want to um, know what my biggest complaint about it though is? Yes. It's a one sentence paragraph. Do you want to know why that annoys me, Ethan? Oh, because it's a cheap way to create emotion where there isn't necessarily any emotion in a text? Yep, exactly. Uh, it's oh, not was it? actually <laughs> good writing. It just uh, fakes it. <laughs> um, yep, yep. And freaking everybody does it nowadays. Yes, um, especially on you... blogs on the internet, especially oh, when those blogs are rhetorical in any sense and by that i do mean basically political but yeah yep. anyway all right so that's now we're we're getting into beyond our this our scope 
Uh, yes. And I'm just going to give this back to our student Daniel and say, try again. Though. Crawl, crawl back in the womb and try again. <laughs> um, there's your Dennis Marzov shout out for the seven people yep. listening who get that. Um, Boom. Brock, I, I would, though, now that you've tied that up in a nice bow, I would like to continue a little. Robert Langdon awoke slowly. A telephone was ringing in the darkness, a tinny, unfamiliar ring. He fumbled for the bedside lamp and turned it on. Squinting at his surroundings, he saw a plush Renaissance bedroom, and then it gets bad again. But, like, through those first, like, couple of of paragraphs there, not too bad, especially compared to those opening couple of paragraphs in the prologue. Right? Uh, so the problem, then it, it does it does get into problems of more of the same though you know Louis the Louis the Sixteenth furniture and yeah good wall uh, yeah like yeah it gets and then uh, it, then we get into the last like the fifth paragraph that has the adverb slowly again oh uh, he forgot the only rule he follows yep he did he he, he followed did. that rule in the prologue and then and then promptly gave up on that rule. <laughs> Three. Even I mean, in fairness, badly. In, in fairness, three entire pages is a lot for a man to remember a thing. It's it's true. It's true. It's so hard. It's yeah. a hardship. Anyway, do you want it your is. punishment? Yeah. Um. So your punishment, and this is uh, this is going to be something similar that I've done before, but uh, uh, it's going to be more fun. Uh, would you get your copy of the um? Utter nonsense game, if you have it handy. Ugh. Hang on. <laughs> All right, I've done it, and we're back, and I pre-hate you. I know. All right, this is going to be the same punishment twice. Uh, twice. Uh, and so... <laughs> uh, but just, you know, slightly different. So I want you to draw a gold card for the yes. accent... And whatever accent it is, you are going to read the first paragraph of the prologue of the Da Vinci Code in that accent. And you're going to do that twice with two different accents. Once once with one accent and then once with a second accent. To make it so, but the, that same opening paragraph. Same opening paragraph, just in two different accents. Gotcha. Also, what if I draw orgasm? <laughs> uh, I'll give you that as a mulligan. <laughs> you can... <laughs> Because I was going to say, that is an accent in this game, but this is a family-esque show? Esque? Esque-ish? Ish? Uh, Alright, I have yeah. shuffled the accent deck, and I am pulling the first accent. Nonsense judges choice. Hey, that's me. Um, I was afraid you were going to say that. And I'm going to say French. Alright, well... I don't know if we had any French listeners, but we sure won't after this. <laughs> though, this does take place, even though that's the only detail the first paragraph manages to leave out in France, so it's actually fairly... Oh, and that's why you did it. I hate you. Yep, yep. <laughs> Renowned curator Jacques Sonnier staggered through the vaulted archway of the museum's Grand Galerie. He lunged for the nearest painting he could see, a Caravaggio. Grabbing the gilded flame, the 76-year-old man heaved the masterpiece toward himself until it tore from the wall, and Sonia collapsed backward in a heap beneath the canvas. <laughs> Thank you. You're and not welcome. 
but also, <laughs> I guess you're welcome. All right. Well, the next accent I pulled was Irish. Yeah. So, have it you an accent I'm pretty good at. <laughs> he said, bragging and then probably doing a very bad one, because that's how this night has gone. <laughs> Renowned curator Jacques Sanier staggered through the vaulted archway of the museum's grand gallery. He lunged for the nearest painting he could see, a Caravaggio. Grabbing the gilded frame, the 76-year-old man heaved a masterpiece toward himself until it tore from the wall, and Sonier collapsed backward in a heap beneath the canvas. Alright, are you happy, yeah. you sick bastard? I am. I'm very happy. That makes me Good. so happy. Words Good. cannot express how happy that makes me. Well, good. <laughs> well, gentle listener. Thanks for listening to all of this, this uh, homework special. Yeah. Uh, I feel the I need guess... to apologize, but I'm not sure what for, so I'm just going to offer a general apology. Uh, let's, let's, let's offer a general apology with a, with a blank space that the listener can fill in for themselves. <laughs> so I apologize for, I'm very sorry. Yeah, me too. <laughs> also, if you're French, I want to offer a specific additional apology for that accent. There you go. Perfect. Um, so next time, gentle listener, if all goes according to plan, uh, we'll be discussing Don Quixote, which we've been reading since the last universe ended, uh, and the one this that, current universe began. The one that began. blew up to start our current universe. <laughs> the one that blew up to start the current universe. Um, so feel free to read along with that, uh, and if you want to join the discussion, go to tapestryradio.org, leave your feedback in the contact section, uh, and if you like what we do here in the podcast called Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch, uh, review us on Apple Podcasts. What do you think, Ethan? Like um, five stars? I think five stars or alternatively don't five. bother. I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd yeah. definitely be okay with five. Yeah, I think that I think that works. Uh, um, also yeah. follow us on Twitter at Room with Scotch uh, and on Facebook. Uh, and you can find us uh, also in the Facebook group, the Tapestry Radio Tap House. Uh, it's a closed group, but request to join. And as long as you're not Dan Brown, we'll let you in. Uh, <laughs> Maybe if you are Dan Brown, but prepare to just get dragged. Yeah, we'll give you writing advice. Which, you know, like, it occurs to me that a certain set of people would think that we're not qualified to give Dan Brown writing advice since he's made millions from his writing and we haven't. But Oh, yeah, but those people, first of all, didn't listen to this whole podcast. Right. Um, and second of <laughs> yeah. all, this, I this don't This is not a podcast for those people. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. But we'll give Dan Brown advice if he wants to join. Yeah, yeah. If he join. wants to join. Um, <laughs> yeah. Follow yeah. The, the network, too. The Tapestry Radio Network. Uh, at Tapestry Radio on Twitter. Uh, and enjoy some of the other great shows we have there, such as... Intermission, our audio drama podcast. And Pokemon uh, Rollout, Pokemon, the Pokemon yeah, Tabletop United RPG Actual Play podcast. Because you're the only one who can remember all the words between the two of us. <laughs> That's all right. I'll take that. Uh. <laughs> oh. 
Um, I write the script for a webcomic, which thankfully is drawn by someone other than me. Uh, so <laughs> the art is very good and not garbage like it would be if I drew it. But I write the script. So if you like hearing me say words, you might like the script that I actually write and like take time to edit and make good. Um, and that's <laughs> Pin Porter Girl Detective, which you should should be able to google and find otherwise i believe it's pinporterdetective.com uh and you know if you don't listen to us on apple Podcasts, just rate and review us on whatever platform we'll take any of the five star reviews we can get um right uh you can find me on twitter at m-g-l-i-l-i-e-n-t-h-a-l you can find me on twitter at Bjartlet, B-J-A-R-T-L-E-T-T. I've started checking it somewhat more recently, which is almost worse than when I didn't check it at all, because (laughs) now I interact with people, and then they respond, and then I take, like, four days to get back to them, but, you know, it's (laughs) the the life of a very bad person on the internet, so. Baby steps. Baby steps. Yes. We'll slowly drag Ethan into the 21st century. Yeah. With me <laughs> kicking and screaming and holding on to my nag Ros- versus Nante, or however you say it, and fighting <laughs> giants that are definitely giants and not windmills. <laughs> right. This uh, book is all I think about now. It. it, it I've had. I've had dreams. Anyway. <laughs> uh, oh, so... we're gonna talk about that next time. Uh, until next month, gentle listener, we're Michael and Ethan in a room with scotch, and it's our party, and we'll cry if we want to. And we love you, bye bye Bye!
obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From our fancy to yours. Thank you.